0: Welcome to the Tar Hill Hustle, where we explore the different dimensions of the Kenan-Flagler Executive MBA program. I'm Javier Guillermo. And I'm Bola Mustafa, and we're your hosts. With us is our tireless producer, Mateo Celia, and Esmeralda Baltazar, our social media manager, keeping us honest.
1: We decided to create the podcast to share with you our collective experience during our time in the Kenan-Flagler MBA program.
0: Welcome to season two. Over the course of this season, our guests will share how UNC Kenan-Flagler Business School provides them with tools to develop their thought leadership platform, increase mental health awareness, and most importantly, refine critical soft skills.
1: Our guests will also share key takeaways from the experiential learning component included in one of the best entrepreneurship programs in the U.S. We'll also talk about the key elements needed for a successful negotiation and explore the program's career advancement resources.
0: So, let's hustle. Let's get down to business. Let's get down to business.
1: Welcome to the Tar Heel Hustle podcast. Today, we want to start the episode by sharing special news. Bola welcomed his second daughter to the world. Congratulations, Loco and Bola, on behalf of the whole team and audience of the Tar Heel Hustle. For that reason, a very special host is joining me today, Esmeralda, our social media charmer.
2: Yes, and congratulations, Bola and Loco, and thank you, Javi. I'm so happy to step in for Bola in such a special occasion.
1: And what a great episode we have today, a chance to discuss a topic that is in the mind of many business professionals. Entrepreneurship. Is it for me or not? Do I need a million-dollar idea to become an entrepreneur?
2: Yeah, Javi, and really, entrepreneurship is such an imposing word, isn't it? But really, to be considered an entrepreneur, you do not need to create something revolutionary that is going to change the course of humanity. No, you only need to do one thing different or fix a problem that complicates someone else's daily life.
1: That's exactly the point of our conversation today. And we have with us a leading professor in the field of entrepreneurship, Professor Atul Nekar. Welcome, Atul. Thank you for having me.
2: All right, Atul, can you please tell us about yourself? Who is this famous Professor Atul from the Executive MBA program?
3: Wow, I I like that build up, you know, because uh, (laughs) once you build me up like that, the only way I can go is down. We are well known in our own fields, and that's fair. I grew up in the small country, India, as I always tell people. I I got my undergraduate degree in engineering. I worked uh, at a company called Unilever for a couple of years. And I decided the corporate world was not for me and I came to the United States for a PhD and I graduated from the Wharton School in Philadelphia. I was on the faculty at uh, Columbia University in New York City, lived in Manhattan, Big Apple, one of my favorite cities ever, continues to be one of my favorites, and uh, then came to Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And I've been here now, this is my 16th year here. I just completed 16 years actually. Uh, To be precise, in fact, it would be 16 years exactly to the day that I will have completed here. And it's just been an amazing ride to be at Carolina, to be at Tar Heel. And I would not want to be anywhere else. Jack how did Hill. that
2: happen, actually? Like you were in your favorite city and now you're here in North Carolina. How, how did that came to be?
3: So I think this is interesting. Part of the puzzle is that I think when you think about New York City and Manhattan, And I lived in Philadelphia, and then I went to New York City. And then before that, I grew up in India, all over India, big cities, Mumbai, Delhi, Kolkata, Chennai, and so on. And so part of the puzzle when I came to Chapel Hill, I was not sure. I mean, UNC was looking for a professor in strategy, and they had a position out and so on. And it's it's a very interesting story. I mean, at that point of time, we were looking to move from New York City. We loved New York City, but we had two kids at my wife who has a, a career also. And so she was, a dual career situation is not easy to resolve. And so lots of things were going on in our mind. And so we're looking at literally the whole canvas. We're looking at the globe. Uh, there was a thought that we could go to Singapore or to Fontainebleau in France or to London and so on. And Chapel was not on my agenda. In fact, uh, I had all, there was another school I was only looking at and so on. But these are not kind just wowed me. And I came down here, and finally, a university is nothing if it's not for its people. The reason I came here is because of the people here. And uh, one of the persons who I have to really call out here is Hugh O'Neill. I don't know if you've met Hugh, but uh, Hugh O'Neill was—he uh, was my host, and he was the one who convinced me. He said, "To come to Chapel, of North Carolina," and he said. Uh, this is not the South. I said, he said, hundred miles in every direction, perhaps is the South, but not Chapel Hill.
1: Not Chapel Hill,
3: an island. And uh, he said, the Research Triangle Park is a very vibrant area and a very vibrant place and so on. And Hugh, thanks to you, I mean, and a whole bunch of other people along the way, I made the decision to come here and I've not regretted it. It's been uh, one amazing journey, amazing students. And I've had the privilege of teaching at Wharton. In between, I visited Wharton back in Columbia, I was visiting Wharton School. I taught in the Wharton Executive MBA program, both on the East Coast and on the West Coast. I taught in the Columbia Executive MBA programs,
1: and I taught in the Keenan-Flagler programs. I can tell you, we are the best. Well, and we are thankful you chose the Keenan-Flagler Business School at all. But actually, I heard a rumor. Some of our classmates have said, that attending your class was the deciding factor for going or for picking the Kinan Fager business school. What do you think about that? Well, I'm very
3: really happy. I mean, it's a compliment, by the way. I mean, many of them after they take the class really regret it, perhaps. <laughs> but, uh, but I'll take that as a compliment, Javier. And I think, uh, as a faculty member, what I always tell students and I've been associated for the executive MBA programs before. And, uh, and as a senior faculty member, I do help out in recruitment events. I truly believe in the institution in Keenan Flagler Business School. And as I said to you, it's the people who make it happen. It's people like you who come to our program and make it really vibrant and exciting and so on. And even though we live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, we are located at Chapel Hill, North Carolina. The University of North Carolina is the oldest public institution in North America. Okay. And so the question which you asked back is, Why would people come here? I think the three things which I try to get students to understand that we give you an MBA program is one, we give you basic knowledge and skills. You come to an MBA, what are you going to get? I mean, we have people who are PhDs, the people who are doctors, people who are lawyers, accountants, you name it, people who have done all sorts of crazy things in life and they come into our MBA program and they all benefit from each other. It's all about the people. And so what I tell is, you're going to get basic knowledge and you're going to learn from each other. And then we're going to give you the skills. But the most important thing, which I think every institution has to give, I think Carolina does, is an ideology, a philosophy, a way of thinking. Something which stays with you for life. And though all of you are going to really remember this, because there is something about the Carolina way, the way we think in Carolina, the way we think at Keenan fly. You know, years ago when I first came here, I was uh, presenting to the Board of Trustees. I was a new faculty member. So the dean's office made me present to the Board of Visitors, not trustees. Sorry. And they asked me what I thought about King and Flagler Business School. And, you know, I was trying to be cheeky. Uh, I said, KFBS, for in my mind, stands for Knowledge for Betterment of Society.
1: And I, like I think that. that's what we are I like all like that. I've never, never thought about it that way, but yeah. Or Knowledge for a Better Society. That's it. Love it. Perfect. Thank you, Atul. Now, moving on into the heart of our discussion today, would you mind sharing with our audience a brief overview into the entrepreneurial mindset and why it prevails at Kina Flagger Business School?
3: Well, I I do want to say, like, I mean, as a professor who studies and researches entrepreneurs, I mean, I often tell students this thing, is that I never started a company in my life. I am not in the process of starting a company. I'm not involved in starting up in anything in the future either, the past, present, and future. I don't think I'm going to start a company. But here I am teaching a class on entrepreneurship, which I really enjoy teaching. And I think the students hopefully have also enjoyed. And the answer lies in the fact that at Carolina, at Keenan Flagler, we have some of the best faculty members who helped this process of entrepreneurship. So when you think about Roy Williams, who's just retired as our one of our most successful coaches, and you can miss Roy. Roy himself was not a great basketball player. He's a great coach. And I think that's the same philosophy we have at Keenan Flagler is that we may not be the best entrepreneurs, but we are the best coaches. And so what we try to do is help you help students. And so what, what is it that makes the students get there? It's a combination. It's Huey, the ideas, the fact that you are in the Research Triangle Park, one of the most vibrant, technologically vibrant areas in all of the United States. All that comes together, and that's the catalyst. We are just the catalyst. We make you blossom.
2: That is actually outstanding, tool For somebody that, that thinks like me, that is just like straightforward, directly, what is it that I need to become an entrepreneur? What advice will you give me?
3: My advice to most, I mean, the class really talks about the myths of entrepreneurship. And one of the big things which people often tell me is that I don't have an idea. And because I don't have an idea, hey, come on. You look at Facebook, like, he came up with the idea. Look at Bill Gates, you look at Steve Jobs, and you look at all these people who came out with these great companies out there, they had a great idea. I don't have an idea. And I tell them one of the first myths we try to explode there is ideas are overrated. And you are swimming in the ocean of ideas. And Esmeralda, you mentioned this earlier when we were talking about this at the beginning. There are two filters: pleasure and pain. In life, pleasure filter means if you have something which gives you pleasure, can it give pleasure to a billion other people? Or if you have a problem, you solve it for yourself. Can you solve it for a billion other people? Can you put a patent around it? Can you monetize it? Can you put a team around it? Sounds very simple. Of course, action is not easy. So, ideas are a dime a dozen, and you're swimming in an ocean of ideas. And I always tell people this like, you know, I live through my students. And I'm going to give an example, which is not a UNC example, but, uh, you know, it's a well-known person. Uh, I was teaching on the Wharton West Coast in the Ember program, and I had a student in my class who, as you know, I asked questions and so on. And he did answer the question. And uh, one, the other student, of course, actually is interesting. I asked a question. I went to a student. Student refused to answer. He says, why did not you ask Charles? Ask Charles. And Charles responded. Later, I caught the other student. I said, why didn't you want to answer? He says, Charles is an entrepreneur of the year from Korea. So I looked up at Charles, and Chilsu Ahn was his name. And Chilsu Ahn is a very well-known politician in Korea today, allegedly the Bernie Sanders of Korea. I want to say allegedly because – but he was in my class. And I said, why do you want to attend my class? You have already been there. And his story is fascinating. He's a doctor by training. In 1988, as a doctor, a computer virus ate up his software, uh, ate up his uh, research, destroyed his research. He got mad. There was no virus, antivirus software. He wrote up a computer program. He learned programming and wrote up a computer program to take care of that virus and started a company around it, on labs. And today has become one of the biggest, you know, richest persons in Korea. Now, of course, I can't claim any credit. He did like my class and stayed my class and so on. The point is, I'm hoping he becomes the president of South Korea. Right, Pretty cool to have a-
1: Hopefully. Yeah. And then we can invite him to the podcast at all.
3: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) My point is, again, if you look around the world, there are a whole bunch of people around
1: the world who have become entrepreneurs because they took action. Exactly. They followed their idea and they believed in it. You mentioned your class. I would say that both of your classes are described as dynamic, really immersive and engaging Well, not only I would describe them a lot of my classmates would describe that but what inspired you to adopt that structure how did you come up with that way of structuring your classes that kept us all engaged well part of the puzzle is that when I
3: began as a teacher you know when I began as a professor years ago I was scared to death and I had no clue and uh, I used to go in with like slide decks and shoot slide decks and basically try to get students to it didn't work and i i mean i became better at teaching and i was a good teacher i want to be careful here because i was i really i mean teaching was a onerous job and like most faculty in the business school i went in the classroom and i wanted to leave and in part leave because not not in a bad way but it's like my job i want to get done i want to get back to my research the biggest difference today is that i look forward to class I'm reading your comment, Javier, ahead of class, and I'm thinking like, ah, I'm going to catch Javier today and make him argue with Mafe. Ah, it's fun. And part of it is that I want to have fun. And what I realize is when I have fun, the students have fun, we all have fun. And learning should be fun. Why should learning be painful? In fact, one of the biggest things, uh, Javier, you'll realize is that a lot of students who come to the program, the biggest is like, wow. And the Ember program is fun. It's not boring. We actually learn and we enjoy ourselves, which is pretty amazing. So back to your question, Harvey, I do want to give due credit because I stand on the shoulders of giants here. One of my former uh, good friends and colleagues from Columbia University, his name is Amar Bide. Amar is uh, Mr. Entrepreneurship, I call him, because I use most of his material. He taught entrepreneurship at Harvard Business School for many years. And he was at Columbia, and I was a young faculty member, and I was going to be asked to teach entrepreneurship for the first time. And he lent me all his material, and he used to do this polling ahead of time and call on a few students, call call a few students at the beginning of class. And so I, I said, "This is wonderful." I said, "Like my God, I can use this. I can extend this." So not only do I call, he used to call a few. I said, "I'll call the entire class." Now it does require a lot of preparation on my part, a lot of my. Weeks, they say, like, come on, that's a lot. But I said, look, if I spent two, three hours before class preparing, those three hours in class are so much fun. You know that, Avi. I mean, the, uh, I've been with you for until uh, 9.45 in the night. And at 9.45, you folks were ready to go for the hour.
1: Yeah, I remember. I, rem- I remember I was surprised. at That first class that we had when you had our names, up in the slides to see where we landed on the questions uh, in, from Canvas. And some of us were caught off guard because we weren't expecting uh, that we had to defend our position live. That, wasn't, that was interesting. It made you think and, and review the case again and, you know, go back to, to that idea and work. I don't know, Esmael, what do you think? Did you feel the same way?
2: Actually, I was going to say, yeah, completely caught off guard. And then for the next time that we needed to, to do it, I'm like, we're ready. And then, you know what? Not only that, sometimes just for the sake of when you needed to defend your position in class, you would say, you know, I'm going to be on the totally opposite of what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> and I'm going to try to defend that just for the fun of it, because we knew a lot of people are going to be on this side. So I'm just going to try to be, you know, on the opposite side like on purpose. Right. At the end of the day, it was about the discussion and everything that we put on the table with that method that you use a tool. It was it was amazing So no, I, I enjoy it a lot.
3: Yeah, and I think that's something the students have really, over the years, appreciated that. And I think uh, it's something which, and again, I tell people the different classes, different approaches. At Keenan Flagler, one of the things is that different faculty members, you know this, you've lived through it. They all come with their top game. And so each of of my colleagues, I respect tremendously because they all bring energy, which is different. What I do in my class is different from what you know, Chris Lundblad does or Larry Chavez does, so on. And uh, you're going to find each of them offer a very, very different insight. And that's the business. Finally, is very different from physical sciences because the force of gravity is 9.8 meters per second square. Isaac Newton discovered that way back in the 16th century or whatever. You don't have to go back and revisit it. But the rules of business get written every day, written and rewritten every day, and they keep changing. And as faculty members, we have no claim over some holy grail of truth. What we're giving you is an approach to thinking. That's what we're giving
1: you. I love that. Um, I love that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the things that you give us. From the entrepreneurship standpoint, when we think about Kingdom Flagler, I know that there are several programs and tools like eShip, the Markers Lab. I don't know if, if, if you have any any saying on that or, or, or what could you tell us about it?
3: Well, I think this is where I miss my colleague and good friend, Ted Zoller. Ted is the guy who built the entrepreneurship program. And I want to be careful here because I think I am a faculty member of the Strategy and Entrepreneurship Group. There are a whole bunch of people inside the school who have helped to build the program out. And Ted is a very important person because he, till recently, was the director of the Entrepreneurship Center. Chris has now taken over. Chris Bingham is doing a wonderful job also. But putting these together, remember, Javier, you asked me the question, what is it about Carolina that makes people become entrepreneurs? Well, what you need is great people, great students, that's students and faculty. Then what you need is a larger ecosystem, which includes companies in the triangle. And you need programs like the Adams Apprenticeship, which is for the undergraduates, or we have the GEL Lab, which is for our Ember students and so on. Those are the things we need. And when they all come together, you have the successful venture starting out. So again, Ted Zoller has built it out. I I think I have a say in it, but Ted has done an amazing job with it. And we have some great uh, uh, electives, great courses, and we have a great center where you can access knowledge and information.
1: Okay, Atul, what type of recommendations would you share with future EMBA candidates interested in entrepreneurship programs? I think you want to join a program
3: which really meshes well with your personality. And I always tell people that you need to visit the program. And if you visit the program, you are going to find the Chapel Hill and UNC are for you. And I say this because I know I made that decision after visiting. And I know of so many students who have come to our class and said like, you know what? I visited some neighboring schools also, but I've decided I want to come to UNC. And I think that's what I would urge them, you know, visit the school, get a feel for the vibe. And, you know, the point is, you're not going to get a chance again. Most of the people who come to our MBA program are not going to go back to school again in a formal sense. And I always tell them, this is your chance to build a new set of network connections. And the UNC network connections are there in every part of the world. And I'll tell you, I was in Alaska two years ago. And literally, I'm sitting there. This is like at 10 o'clock in the night. It's summer, of course. So it's 10 o'clock, and we go into a restaurant. We land there at 8 p.m. Alaska time. We're exhausted. And I'm having dinner with my wife and my younger son. And in that dark light, suddenly a voice calls out, Professor Nerker, is that you? And this is in Anchorage, Alaska.
1: And like, my wife looks at me and says like, come on, just turns are everywhere. There's <laughs> a, big, a big group here in Atlanta, actually. I think it's one of the biggest alumni groups outside of Chapel Hill. So again, I mean, and I've been like, you know, I go to
3: different parts of the world and I always bump into people who are Tar Heels and who love the program and have done so well. Perfect.
2: Until right now, we give a space to all of our participants to highlight a particular cause close to their hearts or a particular organization or an institution, you know, supporting a particular stand that you would like to mention.
3: If there is one thing which I would really, really love to see more is transparency, In everything that we do in the world. And that's a cause which I would really fight for. Transparency and in everything. Because it is not that I don't believe that unequal outcomes are always going to happen. And that's something which I accept. I mean, I think you know, some people are gonna win, some people are gonna lose. But I think it's about transparency in the process so that everyone gets a chance to do what they're good at. Society has been dominated by what I call stumbling blocks, which will come from race, religion, gender, you name it. If you can get past those and create transparency and equity and equality and all the things that we're talking about in today, wouldn't it be a wonderful place?
2: Thank you so much, Atul. Actually, thank you so much for your time. All of the insights that you have shared with us, all of your anecdotes, all the stories, they were great. Now we know that, for anybody out there, they need to come visit you and see. Come sit down in your class, and then boom, we'll get them right. No, amazing. We really appreciate you being no. here with us.
1: Thank you very oh. much, Atul, for your time, for your for sharing with us so much wisdom. Thank you. Well, that wraps up our episode with Atul. We hope you stay tuned for our next episode, a very special episode featuring Stephen M. Kovi, thought leader author of The Speed of Trust and other great books, and father to our classmate, Stephen H. Covey. Bola and I ask him how the speed of trust in business is now more critical than ever and what thought leaders can do to achieve a more meaningful impact and stay current. As always, you can find us on all our social media platforms.
0: Hasta luego. Odabo.
1: In case you're looking to get in on the Tar Heel Hustle, make sure you check out our episodes available on
0: iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to be featured on a future episode of the Tar Heel Hustle, feel free to click on the link in the show notes. We look forward to having you on the show. Until next time, keep hustling. So if you could travel to anywhere in space and time, When and where would you travel and why?
1: Wow, you know, I would want to uh, travel back to be like an observer. I would have an interest in in religious events around the time of Christ. That would be interesting for me because of my personal beliefs. I would probably love to go back and hear uh, Christ teaching.